What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Saturday edition of the Run Your Mouth podcast. We've got Ryan back from the Gavel Project. We're going to be getting in some legally, legally stuff, talk about the good fight against the government. And before we do that, you want to celebrate freedom, I implore you to go to the gaparmory.com. It's actually gaparmory.com. Get all the supplies you need while it's still available online before Biden shuts it down. It's a very gay friendly website. They got tops and bottoms. They got receivers. They've got stocks. Just go go print yourself your own weapons. And on that note, now I've got my legal team with me to let me know that I probably shouldn't be running these kind of advertisements. Let's bring them onto the screen. We've got Ryan <laughs> making, I believe, a third appearance on the program. Oh, and, thanks uh, for having me back. <laughs> and Tracy, who's a, a first timer to the Run Your Mouth experience. Uh, Tracy, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the fans? Let us know a little bit about yourself and what you're all about. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm going to do a lot of laughing. My name is Tracy Henderson. I'm a mom of a sophomore in high school, and I'm a licensed California attorney, and I'm also the founder of California Parents United, and I'm not funny, so I'm looking no, forward to No, it's all right. Don't worry. We're hanging <laughs> out, and uh, it's a good thing you're not funny because I can't see myself winning court cases, so, you know, <laughs> everyone's got a role to play here. So I know that you're you're battling the state. You're on the front lines right now. You're telling them, hey, why the fuck does my kid have to wear a mask? Uh, let them go to school. Let them actually be able to pay attention and not just be itching at their face. Like, school already sucks and it's distracting. We don't need to make more hiccups to being there. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your, your like, who, who, who are you in court with? Like, what's, what's, what's the court case? What laws are the government breaking? Break it down for us. <laughs> I guess real, real quick before you jump, uh, jump ahead, let me just say that Tracy actually is, is uh, my attorney. Uh, that, that I, I retain as the gavel project for the clients that we represent. So we have a, a number of clients who have masking issues, COVID-19 uh, vaccination issues. Of lawyers here. Yeah. So we, uh, we actually retain Tracy and she's going to be uh, filing lawsuits from, from Coronado Island up to Sacramento for us in the coming months. Um, we're we're going to be helping kids who have been victims of, of basically state sponsored child abuse. And Tracy's the, the most knowledgeable person on this topic and the best attorney in the state, in my opinion, on the issue. So I'm happy to, uh, to have an opportunity to introduce you to her and, and she can tell you all about this issue. Go ahead, Tracy. Well, that's a little much, Ryan. I love you, but I'm not the best. <laughs> I'm good, but I'm not the best. I believe that. Yeah, you know, I like, um, freedom is my second favorite F word. So I love you already, by the way. Okay. Um, I won't say it on the air, but it's my favorite word. You know, basically what's been happening, I think what'll make it really simple for your listeners and viewers is the recent court case in Florida that came down that attacked the mass mandate on travel. That issue in that case is the same issue we've raised in Southern California. And what's a, a couple of groups, South Bay Parents Pushback, Santa Monica Malibu Parents United sued the California Department of Health, the LA County Department of Health, and they sued their school districts for what, as Ryan was saying, endangerment, uh, discrimination and harassment and bullying by educators over this, what they believed was a mandate. And the, the biggest hoax in California history, you guys, is that there never was a legal mandate. Everybody could have said, no, thank you, and never done this. And what is the craziest part is what educators did to our children. I mean, I have two clients whose children were forced to wear a mask during physical exercise, passed out and cracked their heads open. Jeez. I, yeah, I have, I have clients- Were they just who, fat or the mask did it? 
<laughs> no, they're not fat. No, it was. How does a mask? Little... How does a mask prevent that much breathing? <laughs> well, why would you do that? Like, think about that for a second. It's the stupidest thing ever. You mean to right? be in so, a physical exercise class with the mask on? With the mask on, yeah. I mean, you're you're and you're eight and nine and seven. I mean, doesn't that smack child abuse to you? I mean, it does to me. It's just gross. Well, it's just gross. I mean, I've I've been in the gym like pulling down the mat. Like, I just. I never really did the mask thing except for flights just because it sucked and it was gross. I can't imagine being in a, like a kid in school. Like I remember seventh and eighth grade when you did the gym class thing and there weren't showers. Now you're just sweaty and gross for a whole day. I can only imagine like, I I can't imagine parents were smart enough to pack multiple masks for their kids. So now you just like, you're a gross kid and you got snot all over your mask and you're just stuck going to math class with that. Pretty terrible. Um, well, I'll, I'll make you. It's even gets it gets even grosser. There's a five year old over in Watsonville who the, the kindergarten teacher forced him to wear a mask while he's playing in the mud. And you got to visualize this little five year old playing in the mud, right? He got a bacterial infection that spread to his ear, and he's deaf. I mean, that is just that's how crazy this is. And so the lawsuit is all about how this guidance, right? didn't go through a rulemaking process in order for it to be uh, have the force and effect of law and be binding. But CDPH, California Department of Public Health, bullied, literally bullied teachers, bullied school superintendents, bullied school districts into believing there was a mandate. Can it's we, it's uh, crazy. Let, let's take a step back and just break down a few of these elements here. So let's start with uh, the Florida case. So uh, it, it seemed to me the judgment there was essentially that the CDC never had the authority to impose on uh, like it was like the same thing as the eviction moratorium yeah and it's just not within the cd's authority cdc's authority to implement these kind of things so the first question i would have on that is how does it happen that a government agency without the authority to create mandates even goes ahead creates a mandate and then everyone follows suits for a period of time like why like how does how does that even happen i would just think like if you didn't have the authority to you know if i got a call from uh, the the owner of my building and they told me i'm not allowed to flush the toy I, I don't know if they just told me something ridiculous <laughs> i'd be like yeah i'm not doing that like you know what i mean like usually that's the first question you ask people is like yeah under what authority can you do this yeah. so i i guess my, my my two questions there were first is how did they implement something that they never had the authority to do and how did it take three or two and a half years before people finally caught up to that to unwind it like why is there such a long period of time to kind of unwind people over stepping their their grounds well in california i think you know honestly i say this sincerely because i'm connected to parents rights groups across the state i think part of what it was people like ryan doing peaceful non-compliance but but and getting people to understand that they don't have to comply they never had to comply ever Right. But they've built so much fear. And I don't know the answer to why people did that. Um, I don't know if you guys know who Lee Dundas is, but she does speaking uh, all about the Holocaust and psychology. And she's over in Southern California. And she there's a study that says that two thirds of your neighbor essentially will turn you in if we went back to the Nazi time based on just guidance from a guy in a white coat. So that's a whole area of the world psychology I don't understand. But in terms of legally, the CDC is a government agency. California Department of Health is a government agency. They made up the authority to do this. And what the judge said is you can't, you don't have the authority because you didn't go through this really super technical wonky thing called the Administrative Procedures Act. It's kind of like you go to the DMV and you need a driver's license. 
you have to pay the fee, you have to take the written test, you have to buy the plastic thing. Until you do those three little wonky steps, you can't drive, right? It's the same idea here. That piece of paper has no binding effect unless you go through the rulemaking process. And the rub is the rulemaking process would require, oh, public comment. And it would require them to substantiate that mass even effing work. And they never did that. And, they, and if they did it today, right, if they did it today, there would be outrage from the parents across the state. And I can tell you the CDPH attorney is a Department of Justice lawyer. And she personally has conceded to me, personally in writing, in the pleadings and on the telephone, that there never was a mandate. It was only a recommendation. And for parents out there whose children can't sleep, who are having night terrors, who are scared of their teachers, don't have friends, can't speak, that is horrifying that educators put kids through that based on something we could have said no thank you to. Now, so from the outset uh, under, I, I guess, what you're laying forward here. So if I was a kid in school and I would have been this kid, just yeah. show up and go, no, I'm not wearing the mask. And then the teacher would go, well, you had to. No, I refuse. And then get sent to the principal. And the principal says, hey, you're not allowed to be here if you're not. Well, I'm not going to wear it. So I guess it, it, the principal in that case would either have to choose to expel you in which case, I, I then in that case, I could see there being liability because you pushed their hand all the way to the point that they took action against you. And then you could say, well, that's not grounds for expulsion. Uh, however, a lot of what you're describing seems to almost be like the cop thing where, you know, a cop's allowed to lie to you. They're allowed to pretend like they're going to help you out. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of incriminate yourself because you think that you're supposed to be compliant with the cop. So if like my if your school teacher says, hey, you have to wear this. And then you kind of choose to do it. And then it turns out they didn't have the authority to tell you you had to do it. Like, it's what you said. It's bullying. But bullying doesn't necessarily mean you kind of broke the law. Sometimes it just means that people were suckered. So, like, how do you actually hold people accountable for if they go, hey, you, like, I'm saying, like, that happens all the time where people go, hey, you have to do this. And then you find out later, well, I didn't really have, well, ah, shit, you got the better of me. Like, have you broken a law by pretending like you had an authority you didn't have? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's a couple of things. And I, and I don't want to be too wonky, but this has been helpful for parents. I do legal rights Zooms across the state free. And what you need to understand is there's a con fundamental constitutional right to an in-person instruction. Okay. That's a basic right. What, what Under, is that? An, an in-person? In-person instruction in our public school system. You have a constitutional right. And there's an education code that says that they have the right to be there free from harassment and discrimination. There's another whole set of laws called Seth's or humiliate children. So as an educator, your first job is to act in the best interest of a child. So why ever in our world would we think you would bully a child into putting on an experimental mask on their face? So, so Education Code 48900 says the only way you can kick a kid off campus, and when I say kick a kid off campus, I mean suspend, expel, um, exclude, pick a word, is if there's things like a clear and in danger like drugs guns violence bullying stealing kid being those cool. are, yeah those are grounds where a principal can kick you off if they don't have proof of that they can't and like ryan's got the best story i think troy is one of our our key stories where they they falsely accused him of trespassing now filing a false police report is a crime and if you're if you have the right to be somewhere, you're not trespassing. That was that was I don't know. I don't know about if you know about me, but I've never worn a mask. I've been dragged through a casino. 
Okay, I've been handcuffed to a bench, screamed at, kicked off an airplane, Wait, where was chased you? around Crate and Barrel, right? And I've never, ever worn a mask. I want to hear each of these stories. Which was the one when you were handcuffed to a bench? So, so my girlfriend and I go to Vegas, and she's a big gambler. Right. And I'm not. So I'm laying in the hotel room, and we made an appointment to go to the pool. So I'm walking to go to the pool over Mandalay Bay, who I'm suing, by the way. Um, and then, and they, <clears throat> they, start, they see me walk by without a mask. This big, giant, white guy comes after me. He's like, ma'am, ma'am, you need to wear a mask. And I just, <clears throat> my playbook was just to get outside, right? Because I've never, ever worn a mask. And they, usually when you get outside, they leave you alone. Well, instead, they surrounded me and started throwing trespassing codes. Because that's the that's where I was going with this is that's the playbook response. It's you're trespassing. No, no. You have to not be there and be disrupting. So anyways, they surround me, start throwing codes at me, and they make me go back to my room. And I had a doctor's note in my room. So I'm walking back to my room and five security guards just start following me. And I get, I mean, then they, they corner me, they start mocking me because I'm looking where I'm going. Do you really, are you really here? And so as a girl, you know, I'm a strong personality, but I start to get scared, you know, because five security guards are videoing me and what are they going to do to me? And so I, I ran to the elevator and the man, the Delano security were really cool. I but I didn't know who they were. So I go to get in the elevator, three security guards jump in with me. I freak out, jump out and I'm in the hallway and they're like, ma'am, 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 we're Delano. Are you okay? And I just start to sob. And then here comes this giant Mandalay Bay security guard and he's backing me into corner. I go, you get away from me. Next thing you know, I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm, this is all true. They jump five security guards that were chasing me, jump off the elevator, go, there she is, get her. They jump me. I'm screaming. They pick me up by my shoulders and drag me out the back door, screaming in front of people waiting to get on the elevator. They handcuffed me to a bench for two hours and I was stone cold sober, right? They had medics, my heart rate was so high, I was having panic attacks. The, they had medics come in and take my blood because they thought I was on drugs because my heart rate was so high, right? Um, and then they had Metro, they call it the police, come and charge me with trespassing. That was their playbook. And I went and I got it dismissed. And uh, what are you going to do them for kidnapping you? Yeah. False imprisonment. I have a lot. Oh, yeah. I have a, I have a kick-ass lawyer, Neil Hyman over in Vegas. If you guys need a right. lawyer, seriously kick-ass. So yeah, that's, and this that's, is, the, this is where being a lawyer is a superpower where you can just be <laughs> like, all right, you might think I'm just some crazy bitch, but let's play this game. Let's do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But then that, that's but my then move, is, man. For, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's personal though, you know. Imagine what that was like. So yeah. Anyways. Wait, and what were the other two? So that was the time that you were uh falsely kidnapped by a hotel casino. And then you <laughs> said that there were two other wild incidents. So so I had to go back to Vegas to fight the trespass charge. So I had to fly, right? right. To think. So I have my doctor's note and I go to get on United. What what, what is your doctor's note? Just saying it, it's it just says per CDC guidance, she's not allowed to wear any sort of face covering for due to a medical condition. All right, so, pretty vague. And, That's cool. That's a cool yeah. doctor you got. Yeah. Well, Will sign a vax card for me. Right. <laughs> it's good to know people, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I know people could create those. I'm there just you go. kidding. <laughs> no, so so the they wouldn't take my doctor's note on United. So they're like, you have to wear a face covering. So I was putting my scarf over my head. I was trying everything. Right. And they, they said, ma'am, can you just step off the plane? And that was my mistake. I was too nice. So I stepped off the plane and they said, we're on hold with United Medical. I said, OK. And I could see my suitcase out there on the tarmac. And it was a little airplane in Monterey. And I'm like, this is not going to go well. And she gets off the phone. She says, you know, your doctor says you're, we talked to your doctor. 
and your doctor says your condition is fleeting. So if you don't put on a mask, you can't go. And I said, what? And I was in my lizard brain, not my, not my lawyer brain because right. doctors can't reveal that. Right. So I, I get off the, gone to the tarmac. I call my doctor. I'm like, what did you do? He's like, Tracy, shh, no, I can't. I'm like, oh, oh that's right. I was so upset. So, so, you know, lawyers are human too, but we, we ended up driving to Vegas. It's so. wild the way people lie to you. I would have busted that one because that one's pretty like, how do you get my lawyer on the phone? I mean, how do you get my doctor on the phone? Like, well, see, it's, you, you, it's you such come, a wild claim. Well, I was so scared. I mean, it was the beginning of all this. Now right. I'm fortified. Now right. I'd be like, really? Uh-huh. Heard of HIPAA. But in the beginning, it was really, people were cruel. You know, you're, right. and imagine like my, I'm a 51 year old woman and my heart rate used to go so fast when I would go to the grocery store. Imagine what these kids, these seven, eight, nine, 10, 15, 16 kids are going through when they're just saying, no, thank you. I'm not wearing a mask. All right, I mean, so Troy is a rock star. Let's get into the specifics here. So what are the, what are the lawsuits that you're bringing? And like, are you actually going to be able to get money to kids? Like there are going to be some it's like seniors in high school can buy themselves some rad ass cars because you sued on their <laughs> behalf. And like all of a sudden they got all of the school's budget in their wallet. They're just showing up, balling out. Like what's, well, <laughs> what's so the practicality what here? Are, yeah. <laughs> Ryan and I are going to do that. We're going to buy the kids cars. Now the, the we're working on those lawsuits. You have to file a, a tort claim form. It's boring, but it's a step you have to take before you file suit for money. So right now the lawsuits that are pending are about getting a judge's order to make it stop. I want the entire state of California to know there never was a mandate and I want a judge's order to say so it. So they're still doing it. Yeah. Like in other words, you're yep. still by law. So if I were you, I would be tr like, or maybe you are doing this, but I would try and talk to as many kids as possible and basically tell them, hey, I might be able to get you a car if you start fighting your school and not wearing that mask. <laughs> well, Which I'm goes back to LA. I'm, there's their mask mandates back in LA this week. They got put back on the kids the other day. So I'm actually going to be heading that way uh, Monday. I'm hoping. But it sounds like you got to you got to educate the kids so. of being like, hey, listen, if you don't wear this, like it, it sounds to me like until you kind of force their hand to exert the authority that they didn't have, then they were just implying that they had the authority. And so like, there's no, you know what I mean? There's no actual lawsuit there, but if you push their hands to the point where they go, no, we have this specific authority. And then they actually take action against you, such as expulsion or otherwise, well, that that's where the payday is. So in other words, it's an, it's behooves kids to not wear their mask, yep. get themselves um, expelled because school stinks anyway. So it's cool to get expelled and then you'll get a payday for it too. Well, you know what we're doing is we're 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 peaceful noncompliance is actually illegal under the United States Supreme Court. It's completely legal. So we're teaching these kids to stand up for themselves, right? And we're actually it comes from a place of educating the educators. Dumbass, you can't do this to a kid. And and on what planet did you ever think that was okay in the first place to humiliate a kid and stick him in the freezing cold with the scorching sun because you you have a grandma that's afraid of COVID? I mean, it's it's the dumbest thing ever. You can't do that. So yes, I mean. We can't go around selling cars, my friend. I mean, we can't say we're going to get you a car, right? Lawyers don't do that. But, right. it, you know, I would love to see all that COVID money that is making them do this to children go to the children. Amen. Absolutely. Really quick, I, I want to make sure the listeners understand here. So there are actually two separate issues that we're talking about. Tracy, when it comes to the APA lawsuits that she was referring to earlier, is discussing some law lawsuits that are actually apart from my organization, the Gavel Project. The ones that I brought her in uh, on also have the same issue, which is going to be in play for those lawsuits. But we're not seeking injunctive relief here. We're actually filing 
uh, under Title 42, Section 1983 of the U.S. Code for civil rights violations, which allows us to bring a personal civil claim against not only the school districts for discriminating against the kids who are engaging in free speech by removing their masks, but also the school board trustees personally, um, the, the principals personally, the teachers personally, the ones who actually took actions against the students. Those are the folks who are going to be named as defendants in these lawsuits. And so we're going to be having these joint claims. It's not just going to be the, the APA claims or the, the education code claims that we're going to be litigating. It's also just these federal civil rights claims as well. Just to make it funnier, you should just <laughs> single out specific teachers. Like, that's it. Like, don't not like principals, just specific teachers that no one likes. Just find out who the assholes are in each school. And just like so like Dr. I don't know, Dr. Shitface finds out like, wait a second, I'm the one person in California being sued for implementing a mask policy. And then he's got to show up in court. You take take that guy's house. Just take some well, random science teacher's house. <laughs> well, there is something people can do short of a lawsuit. I want to tell you is you can complain to the California teacher credential against their, their educator's credential. And you could potentially cost them their job. Now, you have to take that very seriously. But for, for some teachers, like what they did to Troy, right? What they did to Troy, those, they need to go. Those educators need to be disciplined for that conduct. You know, he was he was falsely. Tracy, why don't you tell the story? Just, just so everyone the, understands what happened. The you, you know the facts better. You've been watching those videos, Ryan, those horrific videos. Yeah, I reviewed the evidence yesterday. Let me, I, I guess I, I'd like to tell that story to Rob, if you don't mind. And, and Tracy can, can interject with legal um, input here and there. But basically, um, Tracy, when, when she explained the APA issue to me, uh, it, it was something that was really icing on the cake of what I was already doing. Uh, back in, in January, I had the idea basically that I couldn't sit around and wait any longer while these kids were being tortured with these mask mandates out in California. And so uh, I decided to uh, draft basically a cease and desist letter. It's on my website, thegavelproject.com. Uh, and you can, you can actually read it there. It, it explains very clearly that uh, the idea of removing a mask, the action of removing a mask under the present circumstances based on uh, case law, Supreme Court case law, is very clearly an act of free speech protected by the First Amendment. And that's because um, whether an action is considered free speech is, is a circumstantial question. This is what the Supreme Court says. They say we, we're going to basically look at someone who is acting and we're going to take into account all of the context surrounding that person's actions. And if a reasonable person watching the action would understand it to be inherently communicative, then it's protective conduct. That's actually protected speech. So if, if you basically uh, intend to convey meaning when you take an action, let's say like burning an American flag and protests in a park, the government actually cannot punish you for that action because an average observer would understand the burning of the American flag to be protest. That's actually case law. And so here in the school context, we have a very, very interesting issue. And this is what I was realizing. So I basically thought, um, you know, just in the same way that Rosa Parks did back in 1955 when she sat down on the bus and refused to get up, how cool would it be if we had kids go back to school and basically just engage in civil disobedience and just refuse to leave, just, you know, based on the strength of these arguments that I had come up with. And um, I believe that this is an act of free speech. And what that means is you actually have a, an extremely favorable 
uh, lawsuit that gets set up because of the, 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 the procedural context of all of this. Um, it allows you to actually have a jury trial. It allows you to, to bring uh, constitutional claims and shift the burden to the government under, under the intermediate scrutiny analysis when you have an act of free speech. The government actually bears the burden of justifying its own constitutionality of its actions. And they have to show basically that the mandate in question, whatever it is they're trying to impose on the student that is infringing on their rights to engage in free speech here, the right to be free of a mask, the right to remove the mask is free speech. If it's any more burdensome than essential on the action of the student, then it's unconstitutional. It's actually a jury question. Don't you and end all up, we have to do is show evidence. Aren't you going to end up with, uh, and you, you guys are the lawyers here. I just pretend to be a lawyer. <laughs> um, aren't you going to end up with like what I call the government self-referencing problem, which is <laughs> in Florida when they brought that case basically saying, hey, it was a lady who was getting fired from a hospital said, hey, this is a violation of the Nuremberg Code that you're forcing me to take an, ex an experimental vaccine because it never actually went through uh, through uh, trial. And they said, well, no, it, it didn't have to go through trial because this other agency gave the emergency order. So he kind of just circled around the argument to go the CDC or maybe the FDA in that case is our health authority. And once there's a ruling by the health authority, we we take that as fact. And so he, he circled around the question of the fact that, well, there was no an experiment. So I'm I'm the experiment. So kind of just bringing that to your case, aren't you going to run into the problem where all of these schools are going to go? Listen, we're not we're not we're not in public health policy. We're working off of what's been instructed by us per. Well, at this point, I mean, mass. I don't even think the, the CDC is really standing by the mass. Like there's very little evidence, particularly in schools. I mean, the whole thing's ridiculous. But aren't they just going to kind of fall back on the fact of, hey, we're trying to abide by safety and science? Like, how do you actually hold them accountable when I would think in theory, at least they can probably point to something and go, well, I'm working off of what, you know, what Fauci told me. Let me let me take this one, Ryan. So mm -hmm. that's a big misconception that that judge ruled wrong, incorrectly. The health officers, whether it's United States or state, California state, they have police power given to them by statute. But that police power is very clearly limited by Congress and the legislature. And we have to respect that. And nobody is respecting that. But what these statutes say is they can issue orders to protect public health that are necessary. And they haven't been challenged in court to make them prove the necessity part of it. First but is of that, all, is that their obligation? Like, in other words, if, if the FDA, let's say, just say on a federal, like a federal level, like the CDC, let's just go with the theoretical. The C CDC says uh, hey, uh, only 10 people are allowed in stores at a time. And let's just say that creates a burden because now we're all waiting on lines outside of my grocery store to get groceries. People are needing to leave work early. It's creating problems for people. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's being enforced by the local police. So you guys are saying, well, we can sue the local police because they're the ones that are enforcing it. But do they actually or state or whoever you're saying, but do they actually have an obligation to validate what they're being told by the federal government? So a couple of things. So first of all, the local law enforcement, they enforce crimes. They don't enforce health orders. There's actually a bill pending in the California legislature where they're trying to get cops to enforce health orders. Because what happened a lot of times, like me, when I went to my board meeting with my mask exemption and my superintendent tried to call eight sheriffs on me. And they came and they looked at my doctor's note and they said, um, 
she's got an exemption and you're discriminating against her. So you better make it stop. Right. But he, he, you understand? So right. they, they, he, they, he tried to get a law enforcement to enforce a health order that, and they said, no. And what was really funny was the Is sheriff. That, that guy lost his mind. No, I'm no, sure that guy. Right. The sheriff, I talked to a cop who was listening to the radio and he said the sheriffs wouldn't come. They just, they're like, screw that. So the CHP finally showed up because the point I'm making is that law enforcement does not do the bidding of health officers. Health officers are unelected bureaucrats who are making arbitrary discretionary decisions that are not always right. Right. And so the only power they really have is based on necessity. So if they go into a business and nobody's sick, they can't really even find the business or force them to do anything, which they did. It's wrong. So, so what we have, what we have as citizens when that's happening, when they're making bad decisions, because not every health officer in the United States or the state made bad decisions. Most of them made good decisions. But like in Monterey County, our our district attorney prosecuted businesses, restaurants for for crimes for staying open. That is a abuse of the Constitution. Our health officers were fining businesses four hundred dollars for not wearing a mask. And one of the business owners I know. Had a, he would bleed when he would wear a mask and they would keep coming and coming. And so that's an abuse of authority. And so when you get to that, that level, you as a citizen have the right to seek redress in the court system. Does that make sense? But there's a misconception that, health, that, that the cops and the health officers work together. Law enforcement prosecutes crime and there is no mask law. Does that make sense? So essentially we should... But this kind of goes back to what I was saying, where you kind of have to force their hand a little bit, because if you're bullied into it and you assume that you had to comply, so then it doesn't seem to me like you got a lot of like recourse. You kind of have to be the restaurant. You got to not be a pussy and you got to say, no, but but the the issue there. No, no, I I get it. So in other words, you you got but it's a gamble because you got to be the restaurant who basically tells when when the people show up, hey, fuck you, you don't have this authority. And then, then they will over either you turn out to be right. And they realize, ah, shit, they called our bluff or they actually push it. And then they do something that's illegal. And then it's how much time does it take before you can actually show up to a court and hopefully you don't get a dirty judge. And so then you're actually able to get your recourse, but it, it is a bit of a gamble because it, the amount of time it takes to actually potentially get a settlement could be two years without, you know, your restaurant or income. It, you speak the truth. You speak the truth. But you know what? When tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. I'm sorry. You know, this is if we if we keep all did not comply. None of this would have happened. So it's really so, an educational thing. No, this is interesting. It's an educational thing where it's almost like at the outset, when they start uh, enforcing these things, you kind of need good lawyers such as the two of you to sit down and the problem, like really have it down. You almost need to like get a judgment early somehow that it, that it's illegal you know oh, without the... to, just really quick rob to, to your question um tracy you're, you're right the non-compliance is is the answer but also there, there are mechanisms by which you can hold these individuals accountable and those are the the, the really the civil rights act is is the foremost mechanism here um you basically if you can get the argument if you can get a judge and, and it's pretty simple based on on the circumstances here i mean removing a mask in the school context 
is, is very similar to a case called Tinker v. Des Moines, which was decided by the Supreme Court back in the 1960s. In that case, you had students who, who were basically uh, protesting the Vietnam War by wearing black armbands to school. And there was a policy in the school actually preventing students from wearing black armbands to protest the Vietnam War. And so those students were actually discriminated against for wearing those armbands, and they filed a claim under Title 42, Section 1983 of the U.S. Code for nominal damages and for injunctive relief here, basically, to say that this was a, a, an illegal action by the state. Um, our damages are real. We actually have kids that have accrued significant harm um, for the, the action and actually for the trauma associated with having to stand up and assert their rights because the adults in the room failed to do their jobs. Could there be so, a, theoretically a massive class action lawsuit for uh, ki like, I, I guess really the, the biggest damages are going to be in the developmental years. So the kids that were either kept from school or the ones that didn't learn that good, which is not the right way to say that, but we'll just go with it um, because they were stuck in the masks. Could yeah, there, learning loss. Yeah, yeah. Could, yeah you, we have that. could there theoretically be just a massive class action lawsuit against like schools for the bad policies? Is that it's like a possibility? Really complicated to get. Yeah, the, the class, class actions, actions with all the different. Yeah, the class patterns. actions are hard. You have to certify the class, it's, and you have to have it huge, and it's. A lot of usually huge law firms with tons of resources do that, right? Because they're right. looking for the big payout. You can have a large plaintiff group, right? But then class actions are just too complicated as a point. Right. Okay. So the better yeah. policy is we single out professors. I mean, single principals. <laughs> we take their houses and cars and then we scare the other people. <laughs> from trying to enforce things that they don't have the authority to enforce. Yeah, well, actually, that's that's sort of what we're doing. Um, not, like not for the reason of, of to just take their houses and cars, but I mean, literally, the, the whole point of what Troy was doing was, was to prove, and exactly on this point that Tracy was making, that when you have the law on your side and when you believe and when you actually have the, the gumption to go forth and exercise your, your rights, um, you can be rewarded for that financially. It's actually the fact that, and as you were saying, basically, how is it that they have these police officers enforcing these laws? I mean, basically, they're just doing what they're told. How do you hold these people accountable? Well, you actually sue them. One of the things that I, I did when I, I was mentioning Troy earlier, I flew out to California on February 13th. It was a Sunday. I went to uh, a home in the Capistrano Unified School District area. That's actually where, where Troy goes to schools within that district. And I met with a bunch of families. Uh, there were parents, kids, high school age kids. They were all sitting on a couch. And I basically walked them through the education, the educational code, the California education code for what they can and cannot be suspended for. Those things Tracy mentioned earlier, um, clear and present danger. You have to uh, actually, as a parent, the only other way your kid can be removed is if you consent to removing them from campus. Usually that's in the form of an express uh, contract with the school to enroll your student in some sort of alternative learning program. So really, there are only two ways to kick the kids off. I explained this to them. I said, look, you have a right to an, an in-person education. It's guaranteed by the California Constitution. You removing your mask is an act of free speech. Here's why. And I explained the, the, the laws to them. And Troy um, actually had, had found me. He had already been protesting since the beginning of February. His, his parents basically, and, and, uh, and, and he is such a young, brave young man, uh, basically decided that he was willing to get arrested. He was actually willing to go to school, remove his mask. And this is what I asked him to do. Go, go to class. Please take off your mask. And when they tell you to put it on, say no thank you. 
because you have the right to be there. And when they ask you to leave, say no, thank you. No, thank and you. Yeah. Say they're going to call the police. Yeah. Yeah. Say, say, go ahead, please call the police. I have a right to be here. These are my rights. Here's this letter, by the way, drafted by my attorney. And if you discriminate against me, I'm, I'm going to file a lawsuit against you. And um, please don't do that. We, I just want to get my education. And I actually called the sheriff's department. I called the police officers uh, before all of this happened the morning of, and I explained to them, hey, look, you know how the Civil Rights Act works. You've actually are, are subject to it in your daily work. If you violate someone's Fourth Amendment rights as a state employee, if you kick down someone's door and you, you know, destroy their home looking for evidence without a valid search warrant, you can be sued as a police officer for damages. And you can get a jury trial on that issue. They understand this. And so when I explain this to cops, sometimes um, not in this instance, it actually worked up in Natomas. They didn't even go to the school when those kids protested. And that protest actually worked. The school dropped their mask mandates on February 16th or 17th in, in response so you, to you beat one school. Kids. Yeah, well, two, two schools in the same district there actually Dude, dropped one, their mask One school mandates. at a time. <laughs> but with, with Troy, he just decided to go to class. He refused to leave. And then they actually called the sheriffs. I was there with his parents with, when three squad cars showed up to the school. And basically, for the next three days, Troy, with my help on the phone, I'm sitting Got arrested outside of school. three days in a row? <laughs> no, the, the sheriffs came three days in a row. And, and Troy snuck into class. I literally was telling him, what a Look, loser. Do whatever you can do to get back into class and sit down and, and get your education because you have a right to it. And literally, we have like, footage we have troy actually recorded all of this he was recording himself while he was sneaking in and out of class while he's handing in these ultimate ultimatums to his teachers um he has a lot of these conversations on tape and he actually um you know invited the police to arrest him every single day three days in a row while he was there he said look i've been suspended he got suspended on monday that was february 14th um and I mean, literally, that I have tape of the, the principal saying, you're suspended. You can't be here. You need to leave. Um, we're calling the police. The police come and Troy says, I have a right to be here. I'm not going to leave. But if you'd like, you don't you can't arrest me if I'm suspended and I'm trespassing. Please go ahead and arrest me. I will submit peacefully. No need for handcuffs. Like, let's just we'll do the paperwork and move on. But they didn't do it. They left. And because they left they the next they day, too, when they were called. So now he was he actually just, so now he's just sitting in school. So, so he, he won. Sneaked, so he, actually, he, he no. did beat it back, but he bet he beat it back by having meetings a different way. So he did go before they lifted it. He did go back without a mask. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was so Troy did beat him back because he in did, other words, yeah. he sat there and he said, you can arrest me if you want. And they realized that they couldn't. Yeah. And well, they and then we him, had meetings, so. we had meetings and it's private, but we had meetings with the school and did some negotiating and he got to go back. So, yeah. It's a little like it's a little different. There's a shout out to Cecilian Placer, same idea mm -hmm. that Ryan did. And she we did a hearing and we educated the school that you can't do any of the things you're doing. You better make it stop. And she kicked a whole school district's ass and she went back to class without a mask and she was traumatized. She didn't mm -hmm. have she didn't have anybody to sit at the lunch table with. She didn't know where to sit in class. She didn't know where she, her teachers were. She was afraid they were going to yell at her. I mean, it was traumatizing, but she's made it through and she's recovering. And so these kids, I mean, it's it's amazing the courage these kids have. Troy, yeah. Cecilia, all of them. So, so yeah. it so was Troy the one kid without a mask at that school? At the time, <laughs> yeah, he was the one kid and there were, there was actually another one that ended up protesting with him and as the days right. went on, I mean, this was he backed down 14th, 15th, 16th. He ends up getting suspended and actually he, he his parents decided that he needed a, a break from school and decided not to go back despite the suspension. By the way, um, 
you, the whole thing is nonsense because, and we know that because even though he was suspended on Monday, the 14th, the school set up a special dunce desk in the corner for him in the literally the called the, the dunce desk. No, but they put plexiglass oh, okay. around a desk in the corner because right. he told them he was going to be back the next day. Like a penalty and they box. Were chasing him in and out of rooms. <laughs> yeah. And so he he went back. I mean, they, they told him he was suspended, but why would they put a, a corner, you know, desk set up for him if he's suspended? He shouldn't they're, they're be there. They're delusional. That's like, yeah, who it's crazy. a child like that? Could you imagine how bad that made it, would make him feel if he didn't have cojones? You know, I mean, it'd make him feel wrong or something. It's just cruel. Why are these educators acting like this ever? You know, All right. uh, Tracy, I think we've got three minutes left on the clock before you had to get back to fighting the courts or something. So uh, <laughs> any uh, any closing remarks, anything else you think uh, people should be aware of? You can go to California parent. I'll do the plug, you know, the standard plug yeah. California parents United dot org. And if you want to do something about something, the call to action page gives you real legal tools, not this freedom fighter, I'm going to call the judge's oath and take your house stuff, actual California law tools that you can use. Um, and one of, we've talked about a couple of them, but that would be my closing remarks. And we're here for you. Ryan and I are here for you. Reach out to us, you know, tell us your story. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, fuck this principal. Let's take their houses. Non-compliance. <laughs> take off that F mask. F let them know. By the way, that's a good threat. You tell them, I got a lawyer. I'm legally allowed to be here, and if you remove me from school grounds, you will be violating my civil rights, and my lawyer's going to take your house. I'm telling you, that one works. Like, like I once had this on a subway. You know what's the scariest thing to hear from someone, like, on, like, the subway? It's when someone goes, listen, I've been to jail. I'm not afraid to go back there. I will fight you. And you're like, all right, that's that's the wrong person. I, I'll, I'll make sure not to make eye contact with that direction. But you tell them I got a lawyer, and they'll take your house. People know, oh, that guy's actually got a lawyer. Right. Yeah. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Make Have a good one. Day. Keep up the I'm good work. I'm out. Take I'm some out. houses. Rob, you'll, you'll, you'll like this. I, so for the closing for the ultimatum that I was talking about, that, that these kids are handing into the principals and teachers, I'll, I'll read to you the last bit of it. It does not matter that you are merely following orders. It is not your job, nor do you have the right to enforce a public health recommendation. As we observed in Nuremberg many years ago, such is not an excuse for violating basic human rights. I'll conclude with a hypothetical. Is it worth your home, car, or pension? Cease and desist. Nice. Yeah, so right. I mean, literally, we are threatening that. That's the whole point. I like it. All right, so let's, uh, let's change gears here. You're trying to yeah. win freedom for kids, <clears throat> make sure they don't have to wear masks. Uh, and then I think you're also dipping your toes into the ESG racket, trying to unravel some of what's going on over there. So what did you have? Yeah. For us? Well, let me, let me give you a little background as to how I kind of came into this, this world. So I have a business degree from Arizona state. Um, I was there in 2016, Rob, I think we're about the same age. You might be a year or two older than me. Um, how old are you? And 29. Yeah. I'm a couple of years older than you. 33. Yeah. yeah and you've done uh, more with your life. So you're technically older. I got in more trouble probably when I was, when I was younger. So that's, that's probably why. Hell yeah, dude. Um, why? What was the worst trouble you got in? Oh man. When I was 17, um, I blow my knee out four times playing football before I was 17 and I had two surgeries. And so after the second one, I just didn't stop taking the pain pills. Nice. And I ended up getting arrested and having to go live in the woods for two months and then go to a boarding school for 10 months. And I spent all my college. I was blessed as a kid. I, I had college paid for, and I basically just flushed all that money down the drain. Me and, too. Uh, so I High had school to, also. 
My I parents paid for, for high school and college, and uh, I just did not take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, I, I like listening to you because I think we have similar backgrounds. <laughs> I, I do listen to you. I mean, I wasn't bit, doing but... heroin in the woods, but I also wasted my parents' money. Yeah, all those I, I never thought when I was a kid that all those years I spent in the principal's office growing up, it was just job training. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, all the lying I did to teachers was good for sales. You know, you get like you, you, you leave with the tools you got. So, yeah, back to the, the, the point here. I, I've been traveling around speaking at a lot of different school boards as part of my job. Basically, my nonprofit, we actually are a charity. We're a public charity now. We have our determination letter from the IRS. And if you are so inclined that you want to support our fight, please go to thegavelproject.com. We actually can take tax deductible donations there. Um, but we are going around and part of what I was doing was teaching these kids to engage in civil disobedience, just like Troy and helping them actually go through the process. I was on the phone with him as he was sneaking into classes. They actually chased the classes. He would go in take his mask off. They would take the whole class outside. They put the class outside in the 45 degree rain to punish Troy because he didn't want to wear a mask. It was group punishment intended to turn his friends against him. And that was happening all over the state. I actually did that in Coronado. I helped teach a, a girl down there to engage in civil disobedience. She missed six weeks of they school. turned class into a wet t-shirt contest? Sort of, yeah, for, for those kids down there. A wet mask contest for those ones because they they're mask compliant. Uh, those kids, unfortunately, are brainwashed pretty bad. Um, but yeah, so I, I've been speaking at these school district board meetings and basically notifying the trustees that we're going to be pursuing litigation against them. And so I've been going across the state and doing this and, and I'm seeing these patterns that are very interesting to me. And I listen to you and I listen to Dave and um, I'm financially aware. I've spoken to you about some of the, the financial issues in the past with universities and endowment funds. And um, I believe, in my opinion, BlackRock really did take over UVA and they control $16.5 billion in taxpayer dollars with no government oversight. Uh, and it's public money and they are basically self-dealing, I, I would believe. Um, this is Bain Capital. This is BlackRock. This is Deutsche Bank. This is some of the biggest names on Wall Street. And this is happening across the board. And they really did basically double their money during the COVID-19 pandemic because, in my opinion, they also have on the boards of these endowment funds uh, high level university executives who control all of the nation's public health experts as their employees. They could have very easily, very easily had those people. In fact, they had a fiduciary duty to do so. To, to tell those employees to make things worse for the pandemic so that their investments could pay out. That's, that's what I believe happened. And so noticing all of these things and knowing a bit about shareholder capital or stakeholder capitalism, having gone through Arizona State University Business School back in 2016, um, I have been kind of attuned to this for can a while. I, can and I just seeing... ask, so what's the specific to for COVID-19? So in other words, yes. uh, what they have stakes in Pfizer and so they leveraged what the the school systems to get professors to basically not talk out about the COVID health policies like give me the the kind of the specific so the, scheme here are you talking about for the endowment funds yeah okay so basically university endowment funds are non-profit affiliate organizations that are set up by schools to manage the endowment for the school. It's a, it's a large right. pile of money that's invested into certain assets that the school then gets to use the return for their- No, I, I understand the endowment right. fund. So Yeah, I'm explaining to the listeners. And, and then oh, okay. Just, okay, so um, the I, I was looking at UVA. I was thinking about suing UVA because they had disenrolled 253 students. So UVA is a specific school? 
Yeah, the University of Virginia, sorry. Okay. Um, and they disenrolled 253 students a week before the school started back in August for being unvaccinated. They didn't even put them in online school. They kicked those kids out of school. In fact, if you go to UVA, go to my website, thegavelproject.com. If you know anyone who was kicked out, please, I want to sue that school. They're horrible. Anyway, um, so I was looking at their finances, trying to figure out sort of what damages would be involved. And I came across their endowment fund. It's called the University of Virginia Investment Management Company, or UVIMCO for short. And um, I, I was kind of shocked to see they had $16.5 billion in their endowment when I, when I looked at the endowment fund. I was like, that's a lot of money for a state school to have. But it, it's actually not that much money relative to other universities. You see, back in 2008, there was a, a shift when um, all of our, our uh, student loans changed from being available only to people who were in need based. That was for, for people who were impoverished. They were the ones who traditionally uh, under the, the you know, pre-2008 model would qualify for government loans. And there was this pro guaranteed profit margin that went to the banks. The Democrats all got upset about basically saying, I don't like subsidizing the banks with these guaranteed profits. If the students default on the loans, we're just handing money to these, these bankers. We don't like that. And so they basically shifted the model. Now everyone can get a, a student loan. It is uh, unforgivable in bankruptcy. And uh, what happened once that once that, that shift occurred is you had a huge number of students, in my opinion, I think if you did some research, it would, it would uh, validate these claims. I've done a bit that, that has actually explained this. Um, you had schools selling students on useless degrees. Basically, you had Van Wilder and all of these different college, you know, uh, movies coming out selling students on the college experience. And the kids who didn't qualify for business school, they didn't fail out anymore. They didn't go home. They, they got shifted into these nonsensical gender affirmation policy sort of, you know, programs, gender theory, lesbian dance theory, whatever you want to call it. They got put into these programs saying, hey, get your college degree. It'll be worth it. Well, it turns out now we're looking at numbers and 28% of college graduates have a negative ROI on their investment. They will never pay off their student loans. Okay. That's a huge portion of the population, especially if you think about it this way, 66% of current high school graduates in the United States enroll in universities, right? And if you have a, fit, a 40 to 50% dropout rate, which we do, you're having a, a very small number of people actually have a benefit from going to university at the end of the day anyway. And so one, what, what's it worth? And two, um, you know, I, I believe that, that using this like sort of stakeholder capitalism model and pushing all of these people into, into this, this growth, I think that was all the result of these bankers coming in to the, the universities. If you look at the University of Virginia, their trustees for the school generally, it's all people from like Dominion Energy. It's from uh, BlackRock. It's all of these different really big financial interests and different, um, uh, let's say, uh, you know, asset management organizations that are that are really controlling this school. But when it comes to the university endowment in particular, what I noticed was you had all these you know bankers. You had a huge pile of money. You had a university executive vice president sitting on the board. And if you took a look at the his history of their investments, something very interesting started to pop out to me. So let's talk back to, let's look back now at, you know, the timeline for, for COVID. So from 2019, we're talking about the, the fiscal year, June, 2019, June, 2020, 
they actually reported on, so they make some public disclosures, not all of it. The actual way they invest their, their principal is considered proprietary information. So they don't say exactly where the money goes, but they do give some sort of indication, like this is how our assets are managed. And um, they have some percentages broken down and they had an average market return for that time period, June, 2019 to June, 2020, it was like three and a half percent. They had $9.9 billion. Well, what's really interesting and what kind of caught my eye was the next year, their endowment fund basically doubled. They had a 49% return. They went from $9.9 billion to $16.5 billion in their endowment fund. Well, that's really weird. And it's really um, weird that it happened at nearly every school across the country, actually. The, the endowment funds of our public institutions and private institutions, particularly the Ivy League schools, all had multi-billion dollar returns on their endowment funds for the same time period after a relatively crappy year. So I was starting to think like, this is kind of weird. Well, what happened? Well, you literally have an institution that these colleges employ all of the nation's public health experts. And they are, you know, their bosses are these high level university executives who by common practice, apparently, and if you look at the endowment funds for any, pretty much any school, you're going to see this, also happen to have always a crossover with these endowment fund affiliate nonprofit organizations. And so you have an opportunity really to stoke fear in the American economy by having the public, the nation's public health experts go out and just fear porn everywhere for the, the COVID-19. And actually, that's that's what we saw. What was was fear porn from our nation's uh, academic institutions. And it's because they were all in on this scheme to make a bunch of money. Um, in, in my opinion, that's what this is. Uh, there, there have been issues in the past at various schools with insider trading with these endowment funds. You can look back at Dartmouth. Uh, the University of Michigan's had investigations into their endowment fund uh, trading practices. Wherever Wall Street goes to lay their heads at night, you pretty much are going to find some sort of, you know, shit excuse my my french but that's that's where you're going to find it and, and it's here too it's very unfortunate they hijacked our nation's academic institutions um what's really interesting too we're talking about an institution where uh the people who also work at these these uh these academic researchers they they're they're completely conflicted here i don't know if you know much about academic research but right now currently 66 percent or two-thirds is roughly of academic biomedical research, biomedical research, excuse me, in the United States, all biomedical research in the United States, 66% is, is through these basically private contracting grants. You as a re researcher at an institution in the United States to get funding for your research actually have to go to the private sector. So when these people, these, these academic you know, elites, the COVID regime are out there on TV talking on CNN, they're doing job interviews for, for, for the people who are giving them grants. And by the way, the contracts, the research contracts, these people sign, they have gag clauses in them, preventing the researchers from disclosing information that is antithetical to the interests of the funder. I'm not uh, kidding. This is right. this is the, the state of biomedical research in the United States. The other 33%, the other one third of the funding for these institutions, it comes from the NIH 
the CDC and the FDA. Like they, we are we are in a completely corrupt world when it comes to the way that. No, where it's Pfizer goes okay. to a college and they go, "Hey, I'm going to give you this money to go run this test." But let's say they give it to a couple different colleges doing different things all the time. They can cherry pick because if anything comes back with not what they're looking for, so they're not going to go report it. And the people who did the experiment are under a gag order. So yeah, they, they can exactly. just basically cherry pick good information on their products. Exactly. And that's 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 why you have the the fight to to prevent the release of all of the, the, the documents, the Pfizer documents for, for the trials. They don't want right. to disclose how corrupt the process is by which they're actually granting approval of these things. And um, it's what, what's what's so crazy about all, all of this, like. University corruption. Is that. It just happened like right out in the open. And no one seemed to even notice that that you know Wall Street had creeped into these institutions. I mean, you're, you're selling kids worthless pieces of paper. You have been for a while. We know this now, um, and you were also poisoning the American minds. I mean, the the whole idea of of ESG investing took root at the universities. It actually, in my opinion, all stems from Charlottesville. And I, I mentioned this to you earlier. I see when I speak at these school district board meetings, when I'm trying to advocate for my clients, when I'm fundraising for these lawsuits, by the way, um, we, we need support. Uh, we are funding five lawsuits and I have hundreds of applications for help. We are basically the old school ACLU. That's what we're doing at the Gavel Project. Uh, we're, we're taking all sorts of cases. I am, I've emptied my bank accounts to do this. My, my wife is going back to work actually after her maternity leave so that we can keep supporting you. these kids. Yeah, I mean, I've it's like you got the law degree. Go make money. What are you doing? Oh well, I gotta, I gotta save our country because someone, no one else was doing. It. I had to try. Um, I feel like I was banging my head head against the wall. But you know, these school districts are, are adopting all of these policies that are that are in line with ESG investing, and it's very interesting to see. Um, if you think about gender affirmation policies, giving hormones to children. If you think about um, COVID-19 policies, forcing vaccines into children, putting masks on children's faces, both actually have the same outcome. They create lifetime customers for the pharmaceutical interests. That's what they do. And it, that's why when I travel around and see uh, people speaking at school board meetings, I see the same people speaking up and arguing for both policies. It's the same folks. It's the regime moving. And they're actually, in my opinion, organized to push these policies to create a welfare state, to create broken children and a broken, broken adults eventually. Um, and, and what's interesting is, is I see foreign interests involved here too. Let's take a look at the Coronado Unified School District, their, their board of trustees for a second. Just consider who these people are who are sitting on these boards. By the way, these people make $245 or something like that a month for their services. What I see when I go around and, and to, to these school districts I mean, that's is I nothing, see nothing, right? Nothing for, for right. what you're doing, for, for getting yelled at all the time for parents, for all of the things right. that you're doing. Like, it's not worth that. So why are they doing this? Well, the reason they're doing this, and Tracy alluded to this earlier, is it all has to do with government contracting and government handouts. Um, when she mentioned that the California Department of Public Health lied, they went out and lied to the school districts to push these policies. She wasn't joking. Um, they, they literally went around and said, look, these are, they're called guidelines. The California Department of Public Health on their website even calls them guidelines. These mask mandates that were in effect um, that the schools were calling mandatory and were saying were mandatory. 
they were pushing these and they were doing so for the purpose of, in my opinion, breaking these children. They, they didn't want the liability for doing it, but they were handing out huge chunks of money and they were trying to break these kids for money. And um, you had the California Department of Education at the same time you had the California Department of Public Health. By the way, these are two government agencies, both run by Gavin Newsom. He's the puppet master here over, over this, this scheme. Um, at the same time, they were lying about these guidelines being mandatory. This other agency, the Education Department, made it a requirement to qualify for the third round of stimulus funding, the American Rescue Plan, to qualify for tens of millions of dollars in funding for, per district, you had to agree to follow the CDPH guidelines, basically making it mandatory in effect by, you, you can't turn down tens of millions of dollars. That's what this was all about. It was all about money. The school districts put our children through hell so that the trustees could hand out three rounds of tens of millions of dollars in government contracts. And what, 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 I, I'm missing something so here. One, what are, yeah, tens, what of, are the, tens of millions of dollars to, to the school that school districts in California, ESER two, right. tens of millions of dollars in stimulus, COVID stimulus funding going to the school districts of California. Uh, the American Rescue Plan created the third round of funding, tens of millions of dollars going to the, the local school districts across the state of California. Now you have, in a time period of two years, millions and millions and millions of dollars in government contracts flowing to these local agencies to be, to be handed out to different people, okay? This is the same move the environmentalists used to make. It's, it's, this, it's the create the boogeyman that is the, the, bad, the big bad environment, um, get government stimulus to the local, local agencies to fix the problem. That's what they're doing. They're, they're, and then they hand that money out to the special interest groups. So you have um, in Coronado, for example, the, the trustees are, are this. You have the president. Um, I, I forget her name. She's, she's an interesting person. But she is a, uh, basically a, a news reporter. She's a shill of a person. She, she um, works for Telemundo and Fox News. She's part of the, the quote-unquote Republican Party. And um, she is a partner at a firm without a website. What what is she doing? The, yeah, the she's other making person, that government dollars. She doesn't even need. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, here here's another person. So that's one attorney on the board, by the way. All Second right. attorney on the board uh, is a, a basically the head of the, uh, the public defender's office in the area. But she's also interestingly the head of the homelessness court in San Diego, which again is like another one of these sort of agencies created by the federal government that controls make that money. All right, I want. I, I so, want to uh, I want to put a bow on this and I, I, let's sorry, I, I, I want to put forever. I want to put the most uh, I think the most interesting idea that you put forward. We'll recap for one. You're teaching kids civil disobedience, because if you, we force government to actually take action, engage in illegal activities, there's grounds for suing. Uh, so, you know, step forward, especially if you're in California, reach out to the gavel project, reach out to uh, it was Tracy, right? Tracy Anderson at California Parents United. At California Parents United for the resources. They are bluffing. They do not have the authority to remove you from school grounds for not wearing a mask. So force their hand. 
because you'll find that they know that they can't do it, and then you'll be able to live your life mask-free. Uh, Ryan has other endeavors, endeavors going on at the, the Gavel Project, and before we kind of plug that, I want to I want to recap this other idea that you put forward because it's interesting. Uh, but you see, uh, we'll, we'll call it a conspiracy, but basically the pharmaceutical companies are looking for, uh, uh, I mean, we could put it in harsh terms, developmentally disabled adults, either anxiety or mental uh, problems or other problems as well so that they can uh, sell them pharmaceuticals down the line. So it wasn't just today's profits and today's profits obviously existed with the uh, platform of, uh, you know, uh, getting everyone shots that were paid for by the government. Mm -hmm. uh, But they also almost have a incentive to have unhealthy individuals because unhealthy individuals give them customers to sell products to in the future, uh, whether that's, you know, services and products to deal with mental disorders uh, or if it's uh, people relying on government, which kind of is what the socialists want, uh, even though that's short sighted, because at some point people are going to have to produce stuff and have industry. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like the parasite killing the host. Uh, but I, I do understand where you're coming from. Uh, and it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is an, an interesting and devious, uh, you know, plot. Can I just say really quickly, the other person I was getting to works for a company called SAIC. This is a person on the board. He's been working for SAIC for for 25 years. It's a a Chinese defense contracting company. Oh, wonderful. Well, that's that's kind of what uh, I I guess starts dipping a little bit more into the interesting uh, conspiracy theory. Uh, This is where I'm getting, yeah. uh, Is how much of these actions are being driven by uh, I mean, obviously, like we, sometimes we look at it and we go, well, why would our government want to destroy our country? Well, maybe it isn't our government. Maybe it's that there's so much Chinese money in our system and bribing certain individuals or bribing heads of certain companies. Like maybe they're not looking for, you know what I mean? It's like a silent, sneaky warfare of sorts. Now, well, yeah, I, I don't know what what the, the end goal is or who, who's behind it, but it, it certainly seems to be some nefarious things happening. I mean, the, the the every step that we've seen from these institutions seems to be aimed at retarding our children. Frankly, that's that's the point of, of the that's the outcome they're they're attaining. And um, when that is the outcome, you have to start asking questions as, as to why. And I, I think that um, the uh, the, the thing that's really interesting here is I, I want to just note that what we're witnessing here today, and I, I think you'll appreciate this because you, you and Dave talk about it quite a bit, is the relationship between a um, political party and an industrial complex. We've seen it before, and you, you talk about it quite a bit back in, in 2001 with the with the, the, the terrorist attacks, fall, falling terrorist attacks, we had General Colonel and Powell actually, you know, a few years into the Afghan war, go out and, and move into to Iraq as well. Operation Iraqi Freedom. We, we saw in basically government officials from the Republican Party this time going out, telling lies. Those lies had two outcomes. They made their friends incredibly rich. They also resulted in hundreds of thousands of deaths in some far off land. Um, the same thing has happened today here in the United States, unfortunately. The, it was a, a, an industrial complex, the pharmaceutical industrial complex in movement with the Democratic Party and, and the Republican Party to start the, this. But um, 
more more recently with the Democratic Party, you had pe people lying in the government. The result is certain people, their friends, get incredibly rich, and there are hundreds of thousands of people that are being killed. This time, the only difference is they are here on our shores. And I quit my job um, in October of 2007, 2021 because uh, I wanted to prevent the civil war. That's literally what I'm trying to do. I mean, I've, I've taken huge financial risk with my wife to start this nonprofit charity. And we're basically going around and looking for lawsuits that are going to have societal change. Rob, you, you talk a lot about huge issues in society. You're very articulate. You're very intelligent. You, you, you highlight the hypocrisy so well of a lot of these policies and a lot of these, 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 these situations. My organization is the, the secondary aspect to that. We're actually going to go and solve some of these problems. We're going to sue some um, fuckers. Yeah, and, and we're not we only make that. that the, 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 the slogan, the gavel project. Yeah, we're out here suing some fuckers. Well, I mean, it's, the, our slogan is better a gavel than justice a through Justice yeah. through suing. And so, you know, I, my wife and I have started this organization. We have a, a great website, thegavelproject.com. We have a store there. You guys can actually see. I'm, I'm not wearing any of the gear right now, but we have a pretty sweet logo. It's the Gadsden snake with a gavel. It's actually wrapped around it. And um, we're trying to start a movement. Not only am I trying to, I'm traveling right now. I'm in California. I'm apart from my family. I've been, I'm missing my daughters growing up for this uh, because I think it's so important. I think that we need to defend our liberty now. We need to take drastic actions to do it. Um, you know, I'm traveling, trying to raise awareness about what's happened to these kids. I'm trying to, um, teach these kids to prepare them so that they know what to do with, if, if, and when the vaccine mandates come, you need to know how to engage in civil disobedience. This is important. You need to know your rights. And I'm, I'm fundraising for lawsuits. I, I have, um, I, I mentioned we have a, a few lawsuits right now. Tracy is helping us with these, these cases, um, the, this is just the, the tip of the iceberg. I have hundreds of applications for help. We are entirely crowdsource funded. Uh, I, I decided that we are not taking contingency fees on any of these cases. The Troy's case, the one that is in Capistrano, we're suing for tens of millions of dollars. Hell I don't yeah, want to money. And I actually have cornered the plaintiff's market here. If someone can, can donate enough money, I can actually take on these hundreds of cases and prevent those asshole plaintiff's attorneys who have been sitting by licking their chops for the last few months or years waiting for these kids to get hurt before they came in and filed lawsuits on their behalf and then took 30% of their money, the, the money that those kids are entitled to. I have all of these applications. I can help all of these kids if I can get the resources and um, I can prevent the plaintiff's bar from taking 30% of those kids' money by, by forcing these plaintiff's attorneys to contract with me at an hourly rate. Um, because the plaintiff's bar, frankly, is, is a, a, it, it's, it has been for a very long time, basically, a leftist organization. Um, and um, I'm not, uh, not a fan. So we're, we're going we're gonna to do this in a way that makes sense for the kids and, and is actually helping the kids. We're a charity. It's what we do. I, I, we started a 501c3 so that you can see who we are, what we're doing with the money. It's all transparent. Um, that's the point. I, I wanna, this is all about helping kids. So, Love it. People. so check it out. Everybody go to the gavel project. You can see some of the uh, upcoming lawsuits and uh, we're going to get out there. We're going to sue some people and take some houses. Yeah, Robbie. Hey, let's hang out, man. Uh, you're going to be in LA, right? Uh, the 21st. We're doing, uh, I'm going to be at Brian's. Uh, we're doing the, uh, the smoke, uh, the, the, you know, summer porch tour. 
We're going to be out there. We're going to be doing uh, stand-up comedy. Me and Brian are going to do a live podcast. So uh, definitely come hang out. Okay. I, um, I don't know how long I'm going to be there for. I, I think uh, I was trying to make it a longer trip and line up a gig in – I, I wanted to start in San Diego, drive up to San Fran and fly back. So I, I don't like being on planes. So once I'm on a plane for a couple hours, hang out, man, when I like, I'll yeah, yeah, that. I'm down. I, I, I'm probably flying in that day gig and then flying out sometime Sunday, but absolutely. We'll, uh, Steven, we'll figure it out. In San Diego. I'll be there this week, Tuesday. Hit me up on online. Uh, <laughs> He's uh, out on there. The Instagram. I want to come He's visit a... your, your, your place, man. Whatever the, he sent me wait, wait, here. Stuff. as long as oh, and, a... and let me, let me plug yeah. for you, Rob. I got, I got something for you. You're going to like this. All right. All right. All right. So let me just take a moment to say that I am wearing sheath underwear right now. Oh, the best. There you go. Yeah. Live endorsement. Hey, well, let, me, let me also just say, I think that there's an aspect of this product that goes a little bit underappreciated. Okay. Right? All right. My wife, of course, like all ladies, she loves the sheath bulge. It's just there you go for a moment, though. But she also appreciates, and I, I do too, the sheath tush. Okay, I'm telling you, for guys Gives like a nice me, little lift gives it a little. Yeah, lift. It, it, it's it's a good looking behind. And I just want to say, right. uh, if any if sheath is out there and they want to want to sponsor, you know, and anyone out there, instead of sending your money to the government. Um, we, you can give a tax deductible donation to us because we want to go fight the government. That's what we do. So. I'll let, I'll let Sheath know, you know, we haven't plugged the Sheath butt yet, but that's not a bad call here. This was oh, from Steven, uh, Steven texted me this morning. I'm going to read his text because it was great. He goes, Douglas Murray. And this was like, I mean, he must've been up at five. He was, he must've been having a good night. He wrote, Douglas Murray is a rather ignorant rent seeker. Get him on your podcast tape talking anything. I'll destroy him. Half-baked takes on COVID, ivory, tower non-practical takes on society. This whole everyone is dumb, I have the answers, but not really isn't everything crazy. It's just retarded and old. Opinion on everything which he had, um, which he and Rogan even made fun of earlier. Stick to dreaming about ideal economies. The angry morning take by me. That's the latest from Steven. Wow. Love that guy. If anyone's yeah. out there and wants me on their podcast too, hit me up. I, I, I need to get more exposure. So Steven, uh, Steven will be there for, uh, um, for Tuesday's board porch meeting. Tour. The, oh, he but, should tell him to check out look, the Tuesday boards meeting. I'm, I'm going to go speak to the County County board of supervisors. Oh, this is in, this is in San Diego. Oh, I'm, I'm going down there. Maybe you there, can bring there some frozen cum folks. for everybody. <laughs> Hey, so sorry for all the there. I, I Rob, I, I got kids yeah. looking up to me, so there are a lot of kids probably listening to this. Sorry, folks, I should have probably done a warning at the beginning of this, this podcast. Um, PG thirteen or, or yeah, I kept, I kept it clean for an hour and seventeen minutes. It was an hour and seventeen minutes without thanks nonsense. Doing that. So, all right, everybody, all right. thanks for joining us. Support the Gavel Project. Uh, and Ryan, you got like a Twitter. Where, where's like the most? Uh, I guess what's yeah. the most direct line of contact for you. Uh, the website, thegavelproject.com, and then my Instagram, at thegavelproject. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, at Ryan underscore L underscore Heath. Love it. All right. Have a good one, dude. Thanks. Thanks, Robbie. Take care. Peace.